The last page has been turned on my most recent read and I'm enjoying another cup of tea. My third of the day because sometimes you really just have to, you know? I have moved away from my days of depending on multiple cups of coffee, but it still feels just a little bit weird when I remember how much I depended on a very strong dose of caffeine at least 10 times every morning. As you know, I like to talk about different genres in this pod because there are so many books out there and the idea of sticking to just one is a bit scary. So this week I took another look at my TBR and picked out the book that not only has one of the most beautiful covers, it's like a piece of artwork you see in a gallery, but is also my first hardback with sprayed edges. Yeah, I know I've been collecting books for years, but this really is my first with sprayed edges. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have already seen the book on my feed as I both started and finished it on Friday evening. It was yet another I was able to read in a single setting. In fact, once I picked it up, I didn't put it down once. I really love books like that. So join me today as we trip through three generations of a family and meet the witchy women of Amelia Hart's debut novel, Wayward. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion filled and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing, seriously, it's getting bigger by the day, to be red pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. This week's book combines the magical and mystical with historical and contemporary reality. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference, of course. And let's get started. Kate, 2019. Kate flees London, abandoning everything for Cumbria and Wayward Cottage, inherited from her great-aunt. There, a secret lurks in the bones of the house, hidden ever since the witch-hunters of the 17th century. Violet, 1942. Violet is far more interested in collecting insects and climbing trees than in becoming a proper young lady, until a chain of shocking events changes her life forever. Alpha, 1619. Alpha is on trial for witchcraft, accused of killing a local man. Known for her uncanny connection with nature and animals, she is a threat that must be eliminated. But wayward women belong to the wild, and they cannot be tamed. This novel is told through the eyes of three women living in three very different times, and though the stories are intertwined in the book, I realised that it would be really difficult to keep things straight if I did that in the retelling, so I am going to tell the stories one at a time, starting in the present and moving backwards. That being the case, my story starts with Kate in 2019, 
She is in an abusive relationship with Simon, who is determined to control every aspect of her life. He stalks her phone, locks her in their flat when he is at work, and has isolated her from every friend she has ever had. He even restricts the contact she has with her own family, made easier by the fact they are no longer living in the country. Things come to a head when Kate discovers that, despite doing everything she can to prevent it from happening, she is pregnant. The idea of not only being tied to Simon forever through his child, but of bringing a child into such a destructive and terrifying environment is enough for her to put a plan into action that she has been postponing out of fear. Waiting until he has left to get rid of further anger after accusing her again of seeing someone behind his back, she packs her few belongings and leaves. It seems that her great-aunt, a woman she hasn't seen since her own father's funeral, left her a cottage in a village in Cumbria. Wayward Cottage will be her salvation. She will have a chance at life here. But of course she has a decision to make about the baby, because there is still a chance that Simon could find her, and she would never have a chance against him if he knew his plan had been successful. Wayward Cottage is dark and as eccentric as her great-aunt appeared to be, but there is something about it that's different from the moment Kate arrives, though she can't quite put her finger on it. Cautiously at first, scared of discovery, she starts to put her life in order, registering with a doctor's surgery, where she discovers she is further along in her pregnancy than she thought, and then she meets Emily, a friend of her great-aunt, who is not only surprised by how similar Kate is to Violet in appearance, but also shares with her some of the family history about the manor and the elderly Viscount who is apparently cursed. She finds a job and makes a home for herself in Crow's Beck, settling into the rhythm of the cottage and getting back to nature, discovering a love for the land that she never realised she had. Living away from Simon, she finds herself, slowly growing into a stronger person, and without him in her life, she builds a bond with her mother, living in Canada. Of course, things have a way of crumbling just a little, and Kate's story is no different. But the house, with its secrets, has a way of making things work. Violet Ayres is the oldest daughter of the Viscount, Kept indoors, hidden away from everyone, she is treated as though she is both a precious commodity and an inconvenience at the same time. She occasionally hears people comment that she has to be prevented from turning out like her mother, but with hardly any memories of the woman who died when she was really young, she doesn't know what her father and the household staff mean. Violet loves nature and she has dreams of becoming a botanist or some other type of natural scientist – but her father doesn't want her to learn, keeping her away from the educational opportunities her younger brother Graham has been given. With the shadow of her deceased mother always hanging over her, Violet is very careful not to get caught doing the things she has been told to stay away from, but there is always a little voice in her head that she can't resist. After one such incident, where her father suddenly tells her she is no longer allowed to go outside, she has already been isolated from the village, her health starts to get affected, and more comments are made about her similarities to her mother, how this behaviour was exhibited just before the woman died. Of course, Violet has always been told that her mother died in childbirth, a common event in those times, building an element of resentment towards her younger brother. Perhaps it was there to keep them apart, to give them nothing in common, to isolate them from each other, 
but questions are starting to breed in her mind with every comment that people won't explain. Violet's father himself is cruel, and since the start of the Second World War, he has become almost obsessive. It feels as though he has been driven insane by something, though no one knows what, and no one will dare say a word against him. It's not until later, as a reader, you discover the true cause of his irrational and vicious behaviour towards his only daughter, and at that moment, it tips over from vicious to brutal, almost inhuman. Life takes an awful turn for Violet when her cousin Frederick, the son of her father's only surviving brother, arrives at the manor. He seems charming. He's definitely charmed Violet and Graham's father. He's on leave from his service in Libya, and the stories he tells of the actions over there are fascinating for Violet and Graham's father. Violet, who has never had any attention before, is somewhat enamoured of her cousin, and he is certainly doing his best to impress that Graham is nowhere near convinced. Of course, in her naivety, Violet doesn't realise until it's too late that Frederick is a man just like her father, taking advantage of her innocence. On the day before he is due to leave to return to his unit, Violet takes him to the woods where she loves to spend time watching nature, and Frederick rapes her. Ashamed and horrified by what has happened, and so naive of the possible consequences, she never says anything, her father's t- determination to prevent her from becoming like her mother is so that he has failed to protect her from the realities of the world. Of course, when he discovers that she's pregnant and Fre- Frederick is the father, his first thought is not that Frederick took advantage of a young girl, it's that she has brought this upon herself and Frederick must therefore marry her. Before she has a chance to protest or explain, not that she has the knowledge to do so, She is packed off to a small cottage in the village where she has never been allowed to visit. Wayward Cottage, her mother's home before she married. And it is there that her life takes a turn and she truly starts to live. Alpha's story is the beginning. So it's sort of weird to end with her, but in a way her story is the least formed of the three and told through diary entries that bring together Kate and Violet's experiences and really round them out, making sense of why things happen the way they do. The story starts with Alpha writing an entry in her journal as she is being held in a cell awaiting trial for being a witch. She is being blamed for the death of the husband of a one-time close friend who was trampled to death by his cows. The accusations stem from fear of the unknown, but also those who hold a grudge against her mother, which to me personally, feels incredibly unfair. It's sort of the sins of the father are held on the on the son, you know, that whole thing. Alpha's story starts before the witch trials in Britain were at their peak, but this is the beginning. At their heart, the witch trials were about control, both based on religion and gender. Alpha is the only child of a woman who was notorious for her healing abilities in the town, though people who used her services would be wary of revealing that fact. Both mother and daughter regularly attended church, and her mother was a God-fearing woman, though her lack of faith in the healing practised by the doctor who favoured the use of leeches and bleeding to cure all illnesses garnered her many untrusting but powerful enemies. After her mother's death, Altha continues these customs, offering her services to those in need, as midwife and healer. 
Little does she realise that this will be her potential downfall. When her ex-best friend Gwen comes to her asking for help to rid her womb of a child by her abusive husband, it leads Alpha down the path that could end with the gallows. Alpha's story is told entirely through diary entries, while Violet and Kate's experiences are far more in the moment. But that doesn't mean they are any less detailed. We can feel her pain through her words. She is obviously terrified at the prospect of execution. Who wouldn't be? But more than that, it's the betrayal she feels as people she has known her whole life step onto the stand and tell their stories of Alpha, painting her out to be a character with no morals and ties to the devil when she is church-goering and God-fearing. The fact that she is unmarried and the child of a woman who also never married is another thing that sways people against her. Her mother's believed lack of morals and Alpha's lack of a father paint her as a tool for the devil. Perhaps she is Satan's daughter, at least that is their perspective. Unlike Kate and Violet's stories, Alpha's timeline is a little muddled. Her tale starts with her on trial for witchcraft and then we revisit what led to her being arrested. The repeated visits by Gwen asking for help to prevent a child from being born from her disastrous marriage, the murder of Gwen's abusive husband and the death of Alpha's own mother, which was tragic but from natural causes. Assumptions can be made about what happens to her after she is found innocent of the accusations made against her, but that is all we can do. One thing that connects both Violet and Kate to their ancestor is their desire to find out what happened to her following the witch trial, as despite the fact that as the reader you find out that she is exonerated, despite being treated by a le- as a leper by the people of the village, these facts are never recorded in official records. Which feels more than unfair, it feels as though it was deliberate discrimination. Though neither is able to find the answers, the fact that both of them exist is testament to her survival, at least long enough to have a child and pass on the legacy of the wayward women. A lot happens in this book, but if I share any more of it, then I would be spoiling the story for anyone who has already picked up a copy or is planning to. And hopefully ending on a relatively ambiguous note will make you want to read this book even more. I've done it again. Third new release in a row. This will not continue, though I am admittedly already looking at a newish paperback cosy crime for next week. Possibly. As a mood reader, this may change. However, this book was one that I really wanted to talk about. And as much as I enjoyed reading it, which I did, I personally gave it four stars when adding it to my growing Goodreads pile. I didn't want to wait. But less of that, let's get on with the reviews. As you know, I like to provide a balanced perspective when it comes to the books I look at. And while my opinion will be what it is and won't change whatever anyone else says, taking a look at reviews from both ends of the spectrum can help people to decide whether they're going to read it or not. So before I give you my review, what did others think of Wayward by Amelia Hart? Kelly wasn't a huge fan of the book, if her opinion on the plot and her rating of two stars is anything to go by. 
Despite being an enjoyable read, I struggled picking it up again after putting it away. I found all three stories to be pretty predictable, in part through the form of Alpha and Kate's story, in part because you find certain tropes in stories about women a little too often. In addition, the characters felt a little flat to me, despite the fact that all three of them went through events that were traumatising, and the story reflects on that, there was little emotion from the characters with respect to those events that allowed me to connect to them. The focus seemed to be more on their special relationship with nature, which, aside from special powers with respect to insects and birds and repetitive reminiscing about how important nature was, has been to them, didn't appear to be very tangible. Furthermore, somewhere midway, particularly Kate's story, turned into a solve-the-family-mystery in a not-too-exciting way. Finally, it bugged me that all three experienced their power in exactly the same way. The positives. Interesting concept and the three stories connected nicely to each other. The writing itself flowed well and was pleasurable to read. And the author chose tactical moments to end the chapter to encourage you to keep reading. This book was only released a couple of weeks ago on the 2nd of February. I picked up my copy on the day my book buying ban ended and I have to say a huge thank you to the kind Waterstones team member who went on a hunt for the exclusive edition I wanted. Luckily, despite being new, there are a considerable number of reviews available thanks to preview copies being sent out and no embargo on reviews being published on sites such as Goodreads and Amazon. Overall, the reception has been pretty positive, with 86% of the reviews being four or five stars. However, the small number of more negative reviews all seem to highlight the same areas of concern, namely the feminist aspects and repeated pregnancy storylines. Of course, as I have said in many of my reviews, opinions when it comes to books are incredibly subjective. So if you do read something by a reader who doesn't like a particular book or an element of the story, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to feel the same way. I know I don't. Though there are enough reviews to get a good idea of people's opinions on the book, there are still only 1,104 ratings and 652 reviews available on Goodreads. The book does have a good overall score of 4.31 out of 5, which is really positive. Of course, if I wanted to get a larger collection of reviews to look through, I could have waited a few months to review. But as with everything, I want to get my review and my immediate reaction out there. And as I read this book on Friday, I figured that there was no time like the present. Pavlina had an advanced copy of the book and found it memorable. She gave it five stars and said, I am a wayward and wild inside. I can't believe this is a debut. I freaking loved it. From the beginning, I was hooked. It's captivating, refreshing and unique. In this story, we meet three women from different years. Kate in 2019 London, where she tries to escape her abusive boyfriend. Violet in 1942, feels trapped in her life and tries to learn more about her mother and Alpha in the early 1600s, who was accused of witchcraft and awaiting trial for the murder of a local farmer. Through the story, we learn about their lives. These women are fantastic, so strong and complex at the same time. I was so invested in their stories. 
Wayward shows the struggles women have to deal with when men feel threatened by their power. It has elements of magic, and I loved the way they perfectly fit into the story. It's a poignant and powerful story I will never forget. As always, there's a lot to unpack when reading other people's reviews, and their ratings depend incredibly on multiple factors, especially the type of reader they are. This was another book that I picked up on a whim. I wanted to devote time to it, so wasn't sure that I would get it finished in time to be talking about this week. However, the minute I got into it, I forgot about everything else. I finished the whole book in a few hours and put it down feeling a little bit tearful and angry and strangely empowered. I guess that this goes hand in hand with being an emotional mood reader. Surely I'm not the only one who can cry at the smallest thing when reading a book, right? There are others like me out there, I'm sure of it. Anyway, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Wayward by Amelia Hart. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like Wayward by Amelia Hart? I'm going to admit it here and now. The real reason I picked up this book has less to do with the story and more to do with how beautiful the book looks. I know, I know, I've said it time and time again, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but this one is truly stunning. All blues, velvety black and shades of yellowy gold with matching sprayed edges and a shocking luminous pink title on the spine. It's incredibly difficult to resist. Yes, absolutely shallow, but I like things that look pretty and this was no different. I also wanted to spend time reading the book, so I was waiting for a week off work to get into it. I didn't realise that the story would pull me in and I'd finish it in just a few hours. To me, that's the sign of an absorbing book that has been well written. I didn't even realise the time, just that I was being pulled deeper and deeper into the story. I wanted to know what was going to happen to Kate and Violet. For me, at least, Alpha's story was probably the least developed. I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but she was the character I didn't care so much about. She was more a plot device, the reason why things happened, than a character in her own right. Perhaps I'm doing her a bit of a disservice here, but that is my view. There are hints through Alpha's story that give you the idea there was more to her relationship with Gwen, but nothing ever comes of it, for obvious reasons. These subtle illusions did give me a bit more insight into her character. However, it was just difficult to get as invested in her experiences as I was in the stories of the other wayward women. I'm not sure why, but Kate's story made me quite angry. She was definitely not a weak character by any stretch of the imagination. She had been forged in the events of her past, Witnessing the sudden and tragic death of her father under the wheels of a car at a very young age is enough to make anyone fold in on themselves. Unfortunately, this leaves her vulnerable to those who would take advantage. And that's exactly what happens to her and her relationship with her controlling and violent partner. It's only when she has someone else to protect that she takes the steps to leave. So if it's not Kate's own actions that frustrate me when it comes to the situation she's found herself in, what is it? 
As the child of someone who was widowed at a very young age, I can understand to a point why her mother moved on and moved away. But there's also a part of me that can see that by choosing to do this, which was her right, it also left Kate vulnerable to the manipulations of a man who was controlling, narcissistic and violent. Kate's story was heartbreaking and character building. But for me, Violet's story was the one that was the most devastating. The heartless and brutal treatment she underwent at the hands of her father, the fact that he physically punished both of his children in order to ensure they towed the line, made you realise why she would do anything to ensure that once she is out from under his thumb, she stayed that way. Frederick is a reflection of her father, but in the beginning it seems as though this is not going to be the case. Personally, I was almost lulled into a false sense of security when it comes to this horrific character's motivation. Initially, he seems to be wooing Violet. He's kind, friendly, and shows an interest in what she likes. He shares his observations of the world and appears to be doing everything he can to be her confidant. Of course, this soon changes. The moment she lowers her defences, trusting him to be someone she can believe in, he moves in for the kill. The second he reveals his true colours, it's too late for Violet, and you can almost see the path for her destruction being laid out in front of her. Unfortunately, she lives in a time when men were men and women just put up with it, and when the consequences of his behaviour are revealed, he has already left for the war, and Violet is the one who is treated like a criminal. It's been highlighted by some that this book feels like a bit of a treatise against men, with the violence committed against our female characters having been carried out by three incredibly poor examples of the male gender. However, I don't feel that this was the sole purpose of the story. It was about women who find themselves. They stand strong in adverse situations and make their own way. This is definitely not a romance novel by any stretch, but it is a story about growing to love yourself. And that's what these three women have done. They found their independence and grown to love themselves. So to answer my initial question in a roundabout way, I think that the fact I was able to read this entire book in just a few hours shows that I found it intriguing. The story pulled me in and I did enjoy it. The three central protagonists were strong survivors, and I know it won't be for everyone, though I do think you should read it to make your own judgment. Will I read more by Amelia Hart? I found this book fascinating. As a debut, it's an incredibly powerful beginning, and I would like to read more by her. I am pleased that I took the time to sit down and take in the story, and I'm also happy that I have this beautiful looking book to grace my shelves. Definitely one you need to read in order to form an opinion. The writing is strong, the characters are well developed, and I think the similarities in the origin of Alpha, Violet and Kate's stories are necessary in order to drive that connection between the generations home. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. It seems that witches are the new vampires, at least this decade, where once you would find hundreds of new vampire books on the shelves, thanks to novels like the Southern Vampire series and of course Twilight, the time has come for witches to come back to the fore. 
not that their stories ever really died. Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman definitely classifies as a book about witches and learning to find your inner strength. Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow takes place during the 1890s, three witchy sisters who reconnect while struggling to find their power and voice at the same time as fighting for suffrage. The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana is a much lighter book than the previous two I've mentioned, but it also covers the more serious subject of having to hide power in order to protect yourself from harm, a theme that seems to run through any book that includes witchcraft and witches. I'm not sure what happened to me this week when it comes to not only my reading, but also my book buying habit. (laughs) I am currently awaiting another book delivery, having received two boxes already this week and a surprise package on Saturday that I didn't order. Admittedly, I am really curious about that one, but I want to build the excitement a little bit more before I open it. So far over the last week, I have read eight books And while that may not be an incredibly large amount by some standards, seriously, I know a lot of people read way more. I'm happy with it personally. I have picked up a few old faithfuls and discovered a few new authors in my journey. And those are ones I will probably be adding to my buy the next one pile at a later date. February has, so far, been a massive book buying month and pre-ordering. I have invested in the special edition of Costanza Cassati's Clytemnestra, which is released at the beginning of March, and I cannot recommend that book highly enough. Seriously, if you love Circe or any other Greek retellings, you need to pick that one up. I have also just purchased the full series of A Court of Thorn and Roses by Sarah Mass. I'm not sure what to expect with that one, but I have seen it popping up everywhere over the last couple of years. And when I saw that they were on offer, I knew that I had to at least give them a try. And I'm one of those people that cannot just buy the first in a series. And if I enjoy it, think, oh, it's okay, I'll order the next one in a few days. I need to read them all in one go. Not sure when I'll get around to reading them, as a couple of them look to be pretty hefty. However, I am about to have a week off work, so who knows what will happen. All of this new book acquisition doesn't mean I am closing my eyes to recommendations and I am still on the lookout for books to add to my wish list and my physical bookshelf. So if there's anything on your TBR that you think I would love, I am not averse to getting more books, seriously. So definitely pass the titles on to me. You can send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check the books out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases, other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter and my website beingbookish.co.uk. Oh, and if you still haven't seen it yet, I now have TikTok and you can follow me over there. I have been adding a few unpacking videos as new books arrive. There are a couple of book hauls up there and even a few mini reviews. Me talking about a book I've just finished for less than 90 seconds. You can find me there at Being Bookish Reviews. 
Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You have no idea how much your words mean. And it just gets the word out that I exist. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book is calling me. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.